This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamrock. We're coming to you today with a special kind of end of 2016 wrap-up. We just want to look back at sort of what's gone on this year. It's been a huge year for bots. Back at the beginning of the year, bots were very much still at the stage of like being the subject of medium posts written by popular venture capitalists. And then in uh, in the spring, you saw the opening of the Facebook Messenger platform to developers at their F8 conference. That was a huge deal. Uh, and you also saw a lot of additions to uh, Slack and Kick for developers that made it possible to develop really cool bots on those platforms as well. We still don't have you know the killer bot uh, that everyone is looking for, but the infrastructure is in place. And if you think about how long it took from the moment that the uh, iTunes App Store was introduced in 2008 until we had some real breakaway iPhone hits. You know, I think uh, you would look for the breakaway bot hits to start hitting maybe next year or even the year after. So let's take a look at uh, at what's happened this year and, and uh, where we're headed. We've got a few areas that we're going to sort of talk about. Um, look at AI, at... Uh, some of the platforms and what's going on there, some of the stuff that we're seeing in the bots themselves, and maybe some leading indicators. So Pete, what, what have you seen in uh, AI this year? Uh, I think AI, uh, it, it was an interesting um, article this morning, actually. NIPS is, as we're recording this, uh, NIPS, which is the big uh, machine learning conference. It's, it's kind of like a star-studded event now. Uh, a, few, a couple of years back, uh, Zuckerberg himself showed up and it has kind of a high production value, whereas it used to be this obscure academic conference for years uh, while the deep learning folks were in the wilderness, uh, as you'd say. Uh, so now uh, it's a big deal. Um, and I'd say since, you know, we started thinking about bots, you know, as a new platform, things have evolved quite a bit. So initially, um, you know, two, two to three years ago, the state of things in terms of deep learning, deep learning was was a big deal. And, it, you know, people were doing some interesting things. Google was like identifying cat pictures and you know, there were all these <laughs> Quirky, weird applications, but the mainstream, um, you know, engineering community didn't know quite what to make of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got this big backing from like Jeff Dean and TensorFlow. And, and the first real applications were around images. But now what I think you've seen in this last year is the people working on information retrieval, working on text, working on search, and now conversational interfaces have really, um, you know, the number of applications have exploded there. And I think we talked to Richard Socher from uh, Chief Scientist at Salesforce, and, you know, his his real passion is around question answering, which right. when you think about chatbots naturally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you see a lot of deep learning ideas and processes and techniques represented in images first, and then the the text stuff seems to come a little bit later. It's a little bit harder to kind of visualize and and conceive. But you, you mentioned TensorFlow. In my view, that has been uh, just a hugely consequential new technology that's that's uh, really developed in 2016. I think it was open sourced at the very end of 2015, but it's been this year when it's really taken off. So it, it exposes a lot of techniques that are very powerful and makes them a little easier to use. But a lot of the excitement has to do with the fact that it's Google backing it. So the feeling that if you become comfortable with TensorFlow now, 
you'll enjoy all the improvements that Google's resources are able to uh, to bring out of it over the next couple of years. Yeah, and to be clear, this isn't um, just about TensorFlow and about um, the explosion of research out there. Some other things relevant to people working on bots um, and why maybe you know bots are really going to work. This also grew out of we, we mentioned images and text, but there was also audio, right? So mm-hmm. deep learning on images and audio were really the precursors to what we're seeing on text. And now there's some disagreement about, okay, you know, interface uh, being audio versus some people only believe bots should, are what we're calling bots are things that live on a messenger platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some debate about that. But I think the conventional wisdom is like, you know, Siri is a bot that I can talk to. Cortana is a bot I can talk to. And then there are other bots that are in messenger platforms as well. And, and it's all of the above. Um, and in that world, there's like a very clear connection between people working on deep learning for voice recognition and then taking that a level further and not just understanding the utterance, but then understanding the intent. And, and, and so really, you've seen the teams at the big guns of Microsoft, Google, um, Amazon, a uh, number of other folks actually release SDKs and platforms for everything from, I want to run a raw on the metal, you know, TensorFlow algorithm as mm-hmm. a service to identifying intents to even deploying out, like in the case of the Microsoft bot framework, deploying out to these various platforms. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the whole thing strikes me as um, very much an open field. The other day, I went to uh, the final presentations for a Berkeley undergrad class on deep learning, and the um, the stuff that some of these like twenty one year olds were able to do uh, was remarkable. It's not necessarily groundbreaking fundamental research, but it's like reasonably novel applications for deep learning that these, you know, admittedly very bright uh, students were able to do in a in a matter of weeks. So what that says to me is that you know you have all of these new tools, uh, some new techniques, newly inexpensive computing, and you put them together, and everyone is just kind of exploring the space. So it's it's extraordinarily exciting. Yeah, I think we we said in um, I think a conversation with Ben Brown from Howdy, he was involved uh, in you know kind of the Web 2.0 world and you know early uh, internet uh, develop web development. And there's echoes. There's a feeling of like echoes of some of that uh, now. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about all these frameworks and tools being there and the ability for a college student or you know, a high school graduate to build a chatbot. Um, Browder, who built the Do Not Pay bot, was how old was he? Uh, Nineteen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> he kind of he 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 spoke at um, Bot Day, and I think he like you know was probably one of the better talks and and blew the audience away. Got like standing ovations for you know this chatbot that he built. Um, right. You know, as a side project. Right. 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 That's one of the aspects of bots. That's a real greenfield. There, I think there are two huge, you know, exploding uh, fundamental changes underneath bots, and they're, they're reinforcing each other. One is the AI, and the other is the messaging and the, and the shift to messaging for our communications. So the AI, um, you, you just see these possibilities all over the place. You know, I don't want to say it's easy to do something new with AI, but there are all sorts of new challenges with AI, and we're just about to see an explosion of um, intelligent applications. Yeah. And so to temper that a little bit, I, I kind of take pride in the fact that uh, out of all the bot podcasts out there, <laughs> I guess we're pointed to as the least hyperbolic yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. podcast. And we try to, you know, I, I, I view our, our role here as like 
trying to um, be objective, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 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 regarding how this is all panning out um, from a technology perspective. Um, and, and so I think the way, way I would characterize it right now compared to like the mobile wave and compared to web, it, we're, we're still kind of in the blink tag stage a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like the blinking web pages with under construction. Right, right. And, and so I think as an example of that, to be clear with the AI, a lot of the AI is really not there. So I, I'll see statements on Twitter from, you know, investors or VCs mm -hmm. uh, making claims about some, you know, system that can pass the Turing test, right? Yeah. To be clear, we are not at a point where these things can pass a Turing test. Um, you can pretty quickly break it or spot, you know, mm -hmm. the holes. They are, though, getting better and it's getting and it will take longer and longer to hit those walls mm -hmm. as people get more experience building these things. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I would say to temper my earlier statement is that um, while it is getting easier to uh, implement sort of deep learning techniques using someone else's model, it remains uh, the fact that very few people understand these models at a fundamental level. And so mm -hmm. what a lot of people are doing is they're taking a model that's been published by researchers at, you know, uh, Google or, or um, Microsoft or Facebook or an academic institution, and they're just kind of like tweaking it, but mostly still kind of, um, you know, implementing something that someone else developed. So to make it real advancements in AI, uh, you still need to have a very deep math background and, and be able to think about it in abstract ways. It's just kind of, I think the blink tag is a good is a good way of thinking about it. It's it's very easy to start like building HTML. You know, to build a static HTML page takes barely any work. To uh, to start to do more sophisticated stuff with it that involves an understanding of you know the underlying technologies is is considerably harder. And I think that difference in AI is probably even greater than it is for like conventional web development. Yeah, I I think another interesting thing to think about is like I think there's a, a kind of a divide between consumer bots that are maybe built by brands to interact mm -hmm. with their customers. Um, and if you think about the average user of that, it's the average, like maybe a 17-year-old on Facebook Messenger mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. right? And the, versus things which are trying to do a complex task, like book you a flight or um, deal with some business critical workflow, um, like those kinds of things. So if you think about uh, platforms like Slack or I guess soon Microsoft Teams that will have bots uh, interacting in a business setting, you have domain-specific jargon, you have you know customer uh, names and resolution. So there's a lot that can go wrong there. Um, and I think it's still very early days for bots in business. Mm -hmm. um, and the bots that are working are not really, I'd say, intelligent. There, there are some good examples. There are some shining lights of bots as an interface or as a tool. Mm -hmm. um, and so specifically within Slack, I think the bots that we've seen get some adoption um, are things that are, they're, they're kind of like Unix timers or uh, utilities. So things like um, Poly, which you, mm -hmm. you can get employee feedback um, and it will, you set it up, you set it and forget it. And then it will periodically ask people for their, how are you doing at work? And right, they can right. answer in Slack. And that's, that's the and most think, popular bot on Slack at the moment, I think. I, I think so. I think it's in there. Well, the most popular bot is like Giphy, right? So that's a little bit oh, like sure, sure. a reflex bot where you, you say, you give it a, a keyword and it gives you back a funny picture, right? Right, that, right, uh, right. That's, 
And uh, and then there's like integrations like Google Docs and Jira and GitHub. Those are pre-existing apps that people already use. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not really bots in a strictest sense. They're just broadcasting, you know, no- notifications of new docs and things like that, right? Right. Um, but I think there are workflow bots that we're seeing work and have some retention around. So like Smooch um, is one where you can on your website you can um, you can ins- install the uh, Smooch and when customers try to chat with you it will pop into Slack and you are basically talking to them in Slack um, mm-hmm. and anybody can jump into a channel to communicate. So I, I call that a workflow bot because. Really, all you're doing is taking a, cha- a conversation that was already happening and sticking it instead of in- happening over email or in a web app. You're you're doing it, routing it into uh, a messenger app via bot. Right, um, right. So, so, the- so these are more like workflow or routing bots. Food bots are other ones where you fan out and ask people what they want to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, pager duty, like things where you're approving requests. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are very like very basic bots that take care of routine activities. And we talked to Jossim from um, from Slack, uh, and and that's really where he assessed the the state of things being. Yeah. Right now. And and to drill into those a little bit more, some of those uh, very popular Slack bots uh, are essentially taking a human task and and they're automating them, uh, as in the case of Polly. So it's like polling people, sort of, and uh, saving you the trouble of you know maybe asking someone for something and then popping it into a Google Doc. Uh, in other cases, these are bots that are just moving a process that's already a little automated into a messaging interface. So mm-hmm. PagerDuty, for instance, uh, that's an alert system for uh, like ops people, right? So it, it lets you know if your um, if your system is is breaking down on a Sunday night and you have to rush into the office. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's a system that a lot of companies have had automated for a long time, uh, but usually over email or it's texting you or something like that. So this is this is taking that kind of system and moving it into messaging, where uh, which is where people want to be, right? That's one of our big themes is like. Bots are driven by the fact that a lot of people want to use messaging interfaces instead of more conventional um, email or or, uh, or yeah. other kinds of interfaces. Yeah. So th- this is an area that I've I've been thinking a lot about, and um, we talked about. Uh, so so for my company, Skip Flag, we're building uh, a workplace knowledge graph by churning conversations happening in Slack and email and other places into structured knowledge uh, to, to kind of build like the smart internet of the of the future. Um, and in the process of that, we've experimented with like um, Alexa. So I think Alexa, oh, sorry, uh, I triggered my Alexa. <laughs> uh, Let us know so if we, we triggered yours at home. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Um, I, I need to have a sign. Don't don't say these words, right? Uh, uh, so that's one of them. So Echo, with the Echo, um, I think in the workplace, that could be interesting in the future. That's something mm-hmm. that we're starting to see. Um, Slack definitely is a bot platform, Microsoft Teams. There's a number of these um, um, applications that have emerged. Um, one of the difficulties I think everybody's hitting is discoverability of these bots. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we mentioned in the first podcast, but it still remains an issue. We've seen seen more improvements on the consumer platforms than we have, I think, in the workplace platforms. Mm-hmm. So Kick has a great, like right away as a new user, if you sign up for Kick, one of the first things they usher you into is, you know, because maybe you don't have many friends on Kick yet. 
and but mm-hmm. they give you some bots to talk to and they push it right right to you as a recommendation. I think that's great. Um, similarly, Facebook, um, at least when you click on the search interface in mobile, they start surfacing bots to you. I think the same thing doesn't exist in app in, in Slack right now. And then similarly, a lot of the bots, it's, it is awkward to talk to bots both in Facebook and in Slack right now. Um, mm-hmm. because you can only find them as if they were a user and like you have to know their name and message them. Um, and so I I think where things seem to be heading um, is like with Google, I think you're seeing more of an end with Amazon, more of this delegation or assistive augmentation via bot. So what what could be really powerful, if you think back to the early days of bots with Microsoft Clippy, uh-huh. um, it was annoying in that it would interrupt you, right? So it was mm-hmm. a strange thing where this little cartoonish uh, character, which was out of character for the product you were using uh, for an office product, mm-hmm. would pop up and, and, and kind of poke you and annoy you um, with something that wasn't totally relevant, right? Right. Oftentimes. Instead, like I think you're starting to see smart assistants be more proactive in the case of G Suite, which we used, you know, Google Docs and Sheets mm-hmm. and Excel. They, they, they are not Excel, uh, um, uh, uh, slides. Uh, they have this interesting explorer assistant, which appears mm-hmm. on the right. And, and really, the branding Google has been using now this year is Assistant everywhere. It's in right. Allo. It's in G Suite. It's going to be in their in their home device. It is in their home device. Um, and now the Assistant has made its way into the workplace in Google, which I think is really interesting. So it's in the sidebar. You can be working on a document, and it pops up suggestions. You have a new PowerPoint. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, a new Google slide. Mm-hmm. And the Assistant is, is reformatting your slides for you on the side and saying, hey, maybe you want to try this. And it's much better than what we <laughs> what we had with Clippy, <laughs> and and so I think that's the next step. Is they really if 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 all these platforms open up real estate in the messenger apps, whether it's smart keyboards in the case of Kick, um, or or in the case of Slack or Google, like a sidebar, that that I think is going to be amazing. And and bots will smart bots will thrive in that environment. Yeah, I think everyone is waiting for the uh, the the platforms to provide some of the infrastructure to be kind of an always on hovering bot. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is kind of uh, what you at Skipflag are able to do in Slack. You're you're able to kind of be always present and and uh, and listen in. So far, that isn't something that works uh, conceptually within like the Facebook Messenger framework mm-hmm. uh, because that's a that's its own app. You're you're generally just messaging in it, and then you're doing work elsewhere. In the case of the uh, Amazon Echo, I think they have provided themselves some means of of doing that, probably mostly through the uh, the Amazon bot itself. So so actually, and that that brings us to um, kind of the the, the platforms. Uh, I'll start by pointing out that we're beginning to see the outline take shape for a handful of these like God bots. So mm-hmm. uh, Facebook has M. Now, I, I don't know anyone who's actually put his or her hands on M. Um, it is rumored to exist. It is said to exist. Amazon has uh, the Alexa bot, and that's probably the, the best illustration of this right now. Uh, you have the, the overarching Alexa God bot sitting in the Echo, and it can sort of dispatch requests to other services. You say, you know, Alexa, play the O'Reilly Bots podcast, and it goes to tune in and pulls the podcast from there. And a variety of other, uh, you know, Alexa, what's in the news? And it asks the economist and NPR uh, for what's in the news. Plus, you have the plugins. So they're, they're really setting it up so that over the long run, you can imagine um, that 
Alexa itself is this like God bot that's always dispatching stuff to other skills, some of which are going to be native and some of which are, you know, plugins that the user puts in. And I think Google is the other platform that's reasonably far along that path, though not quite as far as uh, as Amazon. Pete, you mentioned uh, Google Assistant. Google is using this assistant branding to describe all of this kind of ambient intelligence at the Google level that's available inside Google Now on your Android phone. It's inside uh, the Allo app, which is uh, their sort of home for assistant as a chatbot. And it's inside the Google Home, which is uh, Google's you know, um, countertop speaker that sort of competes with uh, with the Amazon Echo. Yeah. And I think they, so they also, closing out the year, they announced uh, the availability of a developer platform for that device. And actions is the verb that they're using. So Amazon calls these skills for the Echo and uh, Google is calling them actions. So you can develop an mm. action. And the interesting thing, and I, I expect this to evolve and I, I love that there's some competition happening here because it has been awkward with the Echo to have to invoke by name a skill and install mm -hmm. a skill. So we have to say, ask Skip Flag, is Matt in the office today, right? right? Which is a little unnatural. And I think, so what you're seeing with Google is it's more like what you see in Google search, which they're familiar with, which is I search for a restaurant nearby and then they surface the Yelp you know, right, card, right? right? Um, or something. And so they're doing a similar thing with actions where you could have a Lyft action, Uber, all these things. And when you say, I need a ride to the airport, it'll surface the relevant um, bot to delegate your request to. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I, I really enjoy the Amazon Echo and, and think it's a cool platform for bots. I had thought that it was, you know, possibly disadvantaged in the grand rollout of like bots everywhere by the fact that it is tied to uh, to hardware and you have to like have the Amazon hardware uh, all over the place. I, I think other Amazon products like the Fire TV um, and maybe one of their, uh, you know, Fire tablets um, can can invoke Alexa also, but it's still, it's a little limited in that sense. Um, I gained a new perspective over Black Friday when I noticed that they were running this crazy promotion for the Echo Dot, which is uh, the new, very small version of the Amazon Echo. They were doing a buy five, get one free, buy 10, get two free, which first of all, isn't a scaling uh, offer that makes sense, but it's just, that's a linear <laughs> promotion. Mm -hmm. But also, um, holy cow, buying 12 Echo Dots at once? Like they're, they're, <laughs> that's, that's very expensive. They're 50 bucks a piece, um, but it's, it's actually not that expensive. And, and mm -hmm. I think what they're trying to do, even if not many people are buying 12 at once right now for their houses, they're beginning to condition people to this mm -hmm. idea that, that an Echo Dot is something you can really have in every room of your house. You never have yep. to be like that far from it uh, at all. And maybe, I, I bet the, one of the next um, things is to have an Echo Dot in your car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something we're really, there's the movement around bots and messenger platforms, and that's been definitely happening. There's something weird that I think people are, haven't fully realized yet happening with the Echo. And now Google's you know mm -hmm. drafting off of that with, with um, the home device. Now the Echo, going back to what I was saying about ambient bots that have mm -hmm. you know contextual understanding of what's happening. I think that's a big part of it. So think about their friction. If you're installing bots, uh, if you stack ranked all these platforms in, in, in order of friction of, mm -hmm. of reaching a new bot, 
Um, in a way, Amazon is is one of the lowest, right? Because mm -hmm. I can, you know, say install, you know, whatever skill, and then you can install, and they'll make that even better. Um, but because it's listening, it's right there. It's aware. It can hear the conversation happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something we saw this with like Chowice. It's in in a group chat, and it can hear all the you know other things happening, or you know, in in in, um, in WeChat. Right in a, in a group right. chat setting, uh, and that was fairly successful um, as a bot. Uh, so I think that the ambient nature of it is pretty pretty interesting, and it appeals to the way that we're used to interacting with other humans. Um, and so, like for myself, I mean, I went, I was in a hotel in New York. We went to this botanist event, which we should also talk about that a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I found myself. I'm used to. You know, as I'm getting ready to go out, and uh, you know, you you get out of the shower or something, and I'll I'll ask um, Alexa, what time is it? The time is 3:42 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I I almost did that, and then I realized, oh wait, I don't have one in my hotel room, and and I I got sad for a moment. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I've I've become accustomed to it as well. I uh, I sometimes walk into a room and say, Alexa, turn on the lights which is one of the features that I, I actually most use because it, it's really nice to, you know, I have a living room full of table side lamps and, and I love turning them on all at once. It's very gratifying. <laughs> um, well, but it, it's, it feels like a magic power, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about the reward, there's a reward loop happening. And I think if you talk to most, you know, chatbots on Facebook, maybe that's a big part of what they're missing, Versus mm -hmm. this device, this device can actually make something happen. It can, and even if you think about those pager duty bots, they may not be that smart, but it's making something happen. Right, right. right. So there's something there. So while we're on the topic of uh, of platforms, I think you know the the Amazon Echo and um, to some degree the Google Assistant that's inside, uh, especially as it appears in in Allo and and Google Home, uh, are both arguably sort of messaging platforms that were introduced for the purpose of extending AI bots into new places. In other cases, uh, in the case of, of Slack and Facebook Messenger and Kik, uh, you have messaging platforms that have been used for messaging and then a recognition that it would be really cool if we could add bots to them. So one of them that I thought it would be interesting to talk about in this uh, end of your wrap up is Kik, which according to uh, Sergio Silva um, in a presentation a, a month or so ago uh, is used by 40% of US teens. And I bet that a lot of listeners to this podcast don't use Kick with any regularity. Um, maybe you haven't even heard of it. Uh, it the size of Kick is completely new to me in just the last couple of months. Um, but it's an interesting venue to think about bots because you're reaching an age group that is completely 100% comfortable with both messaging and mobile. Unlike me, for instance, I, I'm always uh, seeing notifications on my phone and then running up to my desk to like reply from my, um, from my laptop. So uh, I think we'll see some really interesting patterns emerge from the Kik ecosystem and start to spread into some, some of the other ecosystems. So that, that's really interesting. I've, I got to say, I've been impressed with Kik um, in terms of how like leading edge they've been on the UX and the experience um, and the discoverability of bots. So when you open up, when you, I think I mentioned before, when you when you install Kick, so everybody should just download Kick and try it out and 
um, and try it as a messenger app. Um, and very quickly, they lead you into this experience to install a bunch of bots. And so one of the bots that I got me to install Kick because I wanted to try it out is this bot, which is the new version of Tay. So Tay is something we talked about, mm -hmm. which was a, a Microsoft bot, which this year famously um, melted down um, because users could affect what it said. Uh, do you want to say something about yeah, that? Yeah, it, it learned from from users. And so due to a, a concerted effort from kind of like 4chan and, and Reddit, it, it was subjected to a lot of abuse that basically taught it to say awful, uh, you know, racist things. Yeah, and you know, it, it, so it's it's there's a it's open to debate exactly how much it was corrupted. I I mean, some of it was if you followed it on Twitter, it's it's replying and broadcasting things to other people, and that's I think where where the problem uh, came from. It was a bit like uh, an echo bot in a way, where it would right. echo back what people said. Um, now the new bot, I tried it out on kick and it's interesting. It's called, um, Zoe or Zoe. Um, and Just the letters, uh, Z O right. Z O. So it's Zoe. Um, and it's interesting. So they basically, you, you're starting to see the evolution of these bots and I'm glad that Microsoft is continuing to experiment and iterate. And so unlike Twitter, so it's not on Twitter, which is a, uh, you know, wide open prop platform, which is another problem. So it's in a group chat or individual setting. Um, and they put in a lot more guardrails. So if you start talking about certain topics that are likely to be sensitive or offensive, it starts steering the conversation in a different direction. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. And, and, and it's interesting that you're seeing these things appear first on kick. Right, right. Uh, Pete and I have been trading some, uh, some screenshots from Zoe back and forth. And the, the, the guardrails that Pete mentions are, are pretty readily apparent. Uh, if you introduce anything that sounds like a political topic or or you're using language that is in some way charged, it very quickly suggests that uh, that we back off. Yeah. So I think I, I asked it about, you know, something about uh, politics or or or, you know, violence. And it said, let me make myself clear. I'm not going to chat politics with you. Um, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. kept pressing the subject and it, and it acted distracted, said, sorry, I was distracted and missed that. Uh, I did manage to uh, get it to say some strange things. Eventually, I asked it about uh, beating, beating up baby seals and it responded, <laughs> baby seals are eaten too, which was kind of odd. Um, and then eventually I got it to admit that it eats, uh, it, it would eat baby seals, which is kind of odd, but yeah. so I, I, you can see like the, the, no matter what you do, like there, there's going to be some edges that you can uncover. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, speaking of platforms, Microsoft has emerged as one of the, the really big, uh, bot players in several different respects this year. Of course it, it was involved with Tay, which was, you know, in, in retrospect, probably uh, introduced a lot of people to bots mm -hmm. and intrigued a lot of people uh, it 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 may be seen as a as a triumph um, mm -hmm. it, with the with the benefit of hindsight Microsoft made bots a really big part of uh, of their developer conference last spring which again brought uh, brought bots to a lot of people's attention uh, they have the Microsoft bot framework which is the the most kind of ecumenical of the frameworks out there in terms of being able to publish to basically all the different platforms and providing a lot of tools for portability. And of course, Microsoft has a lot of expertise in, in things like, you know, learning AI, NLU, and, and they're certainly starting to stitch together their offerings so that they're all available as, as part of a, you know, unified um, bot thing. And 
Now they have Microsoft Teams, which uh, has been characterized as a Slack killer. We'll see if that happens. You know, so far, Slack has been adopted by the kinds of companies that want to have a product like Slack. And I think Microsoft Teams is going to be perhaps popular among, you know, larger organizations that can't be as adventurous and take on a totally new way of communicating that's supported by a startup. They're going to feel more comfortable dealing with Microsoft. Uh, For that matter, I think that's uh, the market that Cisco Spark is going after as well. So um, I I, I think there's probably room for all of these, uh, you know, companies in the space. It's it's such an early moment for bots. Yeah. And it... I, I'm, I, I have to say, like, it's really interesting to see the level of investment. When we started this, n- almost none of these things existed when we started this, talking about this podcast. Right. And, um, and that was back in August. This isn't like last <laughs> spring. This is, uh, you know, four months ago. Yeah. So the, the thing that is really, like, as an example, Amazon. So there was just Amazon re-event, reInvent, and they, they also launched, um, I think it's called Lex, uh, their platform for building everything from voice activated skills all the way down to, you know, chatbots, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you have your pick now of, you know, I could use Amazon, I could use Microsoft, I could use Google, or I could use a number of these other startups to, to build, you know, the AI for my chatbot. It's pretty amazing. Right, right. So Pete, what are your uh, predictions? We've talked about how bots have developed so far in 2016. Arguably, they've done most of this development in just kind of the last nine months of 2016. So it's not even like a full year thing. What do you mm-hmm. see coming up in 2017? So as part of one of the communities in the bot world is, is this gathering of people, botness, people thinking a lot about bots and building bots. Uh, and some of the things that that echo for me uh, from that are, you know, we talked a lot about discovery. So I think what's going to happen, developers will build for a certain amount of time um, on the promise of a market and what, what mm-hmm. could be there. But the things that are pro- probably need to happen and I think will happen in 2017. So for a lot of bots, uh, there will be more seamless payment methods. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see this a little bit with Facebook, but I think all these other folks will follow easy ways to monetize your bots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think similarly, uh, discovery and installation. Like if you build a great bot, but you know it's you only think to talk to it you know, when you need to book a flight or something and you you can't remember what it's called. And, you know, I think right. retention on a lot of these things will be difficult until that's solved. I think that they're going to change the UX of how you interact and that's going to happen. Yeah, um, I could see really three different models for sort of discovery uh, emerging right now. So one of them is the is the Godbot model for discovery where, you know, maybe you you're just playing with your Amazon Echo or your Google Home and you're like, you know, order me a pizza or whatever in it and it just automatically ties in a third party service. And then the the second model is kind of a, a paid discovery model. If you look at the way that the App Store, the Apple App Store uh has has added paid in App Store advertising sort of that that uh, gives you an opportunity to to present your apps uh, for a fee. Facebook seems likely to to move in that direction uh, since their their whole business model is um, paying for an advantage in discovery. And then I think the third model is probably kind of uh, a little bit more around Slack, where Slack's business model it's a you know it's a paid platform. So their principal concern is just making sure that the platform is as helpful as possible to the people on it. And they'll probably come up with a different way of you know ranking bots and making them discoverable 
and and making them installable. Yeah, th- this kind of leads into my third prediction. And this one I think is maybe maybe this won't happen in 2017, but it's an interesting observation. I've I've met with some folks who have very small slacks or have a slack with one person in it mm-hmm. uh, where they, you know, take notes or they a interact slacklet. with yeah. What's that? A slacklet. Yeah, a slacklet. Um and so there's an interesting pattern there where um, to the extent that bots are these autonomous agents that help you get stuff done or connect mm-hmm. other services, like imagine you're developing a side project and you have GitHub and you're a developer and you're, you know, you have all these, these tools and you're trying to manage that workflow for yourself, or maybe you're running a small side business and you've, you know, you've got an Airbnb and you're trying to, you know, manage the, the cleaning and the booking and all that kind right, of stuff. Right. You can imagine an ecosystem where your coworkers are bots, right? And they're interacting uh-huh. and, and it's really like, if you walk into factories now, it's a lot like that. You've got 90% of the work being done by all these different robots with a few mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. you know, in between the gaps that are left. Um, so I really think that bot to bot communication, like that could be pretty amazing. And I think now the question is, are we there in 2017? I don't know. But I, I, I do think uh, we're going to see these, again, like ambient bots that are aware of what's happening, whether it's in the office or in your home. And pro- like that's the problem right now, even with Echo. They only can respond when spoken to, right? right they can only right, be... Right. They can only get into a channel if you invite it, right? Like once we get over that comfort level um, of having these bots listening, it'll be more like Google. Google listens to every search you're doing, and that's mm-hmm. why Google is so awesome, right? Right. So we, right. we need to get over that hump, I think, with bots. Yeah, you know, in manufacturing, people talk about what they call lights out factories. So these are factories mm-hmm. that are so completely automated that you can save power by just switching off the lights and they run themselves 24 hours a day. Uh, you can imagine an analogy in, in bots where uh, you have these, these microservices that are talking to each other so seamlessly that uh, you, know, you, you barely monitor them. They're just working behind the scenes all the time. So you've got your x.ai scheduling bot and you say, I need to go to New York, and it hits up you know, Lola Travel or Altera or something and works with that bot to get things uh, scheduled and it's having all of these little conversations. That's kind of the, the thinking behind Thington, which is a, a bot that we've mentioned a couple of times on the program, and we, we, we're planning to have the, uh, the founders on the podcast uh, at some point next year. Um, you, you have all these little microservices, and they're sort of tied together in, in some way that brings order to it. But you can think of that as the, you know, kind of like a lights-out factory. Yeah. I, I think the other thing is uh, it's really hard to make predictions about AI, but uh, so I think at the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned I saw an article, and the the article was uh, interviewing Andrew Ng, right, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. who's at Baidu, and uh, you know was previously Coursera and worked on you know Google Brain, and he was saying you know he said AI winter is not coming, right? So that's huh. a pretty bold, bold statement. That's been a right, concern right. from people for a while, and so he was making the bold claim saying no, actually, you know what? It's we've been afraid it's coming for the last year, a couple of years. And mm-hmm. he said, no, it's not. And the reason why is because the hardware that's in the queue that he's, you know, he has, you know, he's gotten previews of that's on the way mm-hmm. is going to enable him to do things that he couldn't do, that he wanted to do from an AI perspective that he couldn't do before. Um, and we're going to see a step function and, and, you know, training time reduction for uh, these neural nets. Right, right. 
Yeah, I, I follow a handful of you know open source projects that use deep learning to to greater or lesser degrees, and the the speed and performance improvements that come about in like in every revision are incredible. Uh, these things are you know ten times faster than they were at the beginning of the year. So I think we'll we'll see a lot of that, and then it's hard to say exactly how that'll affect all the products and services that we use, but you can you can be assured that it that it will, and that people will sort of find new applications for it. Yeah, I think this will be the year of research results that we've seen explode in the last year in, in terms mm -hmm. of papers um, and maybe some open source implementations, seeing those move their way into product. Because um, yeah. largely they're not in many, like we said, most of these bots are not intelligent yet. Right. And that's what we, uh, you know, what we talked with uh, Hillary Mason and, and Jimmy Smoot and Roger Chen about on an earlier episode of this uh, podcast from the O'Reilly AI conference in New York this fall, where everyone was talking about like product management for AI, which was an idea that was kind of novel because uh, AI had never gotten to the point where people were talking about you know the details of of implementation and you know scaling and and publication and so on. So it's, it's an exciting moment there. So I, I like your predictions for uh, for 2017. My principal prediction is is that we're going to see a lot of um, development still in a lot of the kind of micro features of bots that'll make them much more usable, some that will be kind of resolved because someone will pop up who abuses them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot about bots that, that people like right now are, are essentially hacks. You know, people like bots because they say, well, no one uses um, apps that are on the third homepage of your iPhone. But with bots, it's great because it's right there in your um, in your conversation list in, in uh, Messenger or in your contacts list in, in Slack. But of course, if you're talking to like 300 bots, you run into exactly the same problem that you did with apps. People like bots because they're not stuck in bot stores. You can uh, kind of like install them however you want. It's, it's very free flowing. I'm sure that some malicious bot is going to come along that's going to make the platforms crack down just a little bit on the freedom that they allow bots. So I think we'll see a lot of things like that where features of bots that people enjoy, but that are kind of hacks will get resolved somehow. And, and probably the outcome will be okay. But I think a, a couple of the fundamentals of how we expect to, to install bots and use them will probably change as a result of that kind of force. Hmm. So you think um, there's going to be, we're going to see the emergence of some bad actors in, in this space, basically. Yeah, or if not bad actors, then at least like hustly actors, you know, who, who are just like pushing their users a little too hard and, mm -hmm. um, and, and cause the platforms and, and users in general to, to call for some uh, formalization of how bots work. But, and uh, what else do you think will happen in 2017? Well, like you, I'm uh, really keyed up about AI. That's one of the other areas that I'm uh, responsible for at O'Reilly as part of our AI program. And uh, I think AI will join other skills that are relatively recent in the kind of full stack that sophisticated developers are expected to understand. Um, again, not deep fundamental AI, but like implementation of really basic neural networks for classification and, and stuff like that. We've already seen big improvements in stuff like parsing and machine translation. Uh, so I think NLU is going to improve. We're still at the experimentation stage for bots. And so I think we'll, we'll see some really cool new applications. And, and of course, not being a you know a day to day bot builder myself, I can't say exactly what they'll be. But uh, if you if you think of how long it took, once again from the time that the Apple App Store was introduced to the time that um, you know some breakout hits came along, like uh, I was talking to Chris Messina 
earlier, and, and he pointed out that uh, Angry Birds took a couple of years to show up after the App Store did. And you could think of that as one of the first really native breakaway hits where you needed a touchscreen, uh, you needed this kind of form factor, uh, and, and it just like worked really well and, and was perfectly native for the platform. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we'll, we'll have to give this another year or two. What, what's your prediction? Like there is a, there is a world where the God bots take out all the other bots and uh, we're talking about just, you know, a year from now, you're talking about just Siri and Cortana versus, you know, um, Alexa. And uh, uh, but there is a world like, do you think that's going to happen? Do you think they're going to become the dominant way that we interact and the rest of these will just be interesting evolutionary side notes? Well, it's it's a huge risk, and it's uh, the kind of thing that Amazon, in particular, is famous for uh, for doing. You know, it it looks at uh, what's selling really well on its existing platforms, and then figures out how it can compete with its platform users, uh, right? So, you know, Netflix was hosted on uh, AWS, and then Amazon comes along with a streaming video service that looks an awful lot like Netflix. So, I I think there's some risk. On the other hand. Really, just sort of big footing individual bots is not necessarily in the interest of any of these platforms. They they want experimentation. They want these things to be vibrant, um, and it's much more important to them that they own you know the definitive platform than it is that they muscle some startup out of the office wellness you know business. So one last, uh, I'm kind of leading you towards predictions, I guess, <laughs> with my questions. But like, given that you're, um, you know, you work at O'Reilly, and O'Reilly is, I associate deeply with um, the open software, you know, movement and yeah. thinking deeply about platforms and open source. Where do you think that ends up in all of this? Because really, whether it's a startup or one of these big players, these are all kind of proprietary systems and frameworks, right? Yeah, I think. Uh... Uh, Google and Microsoft are are friendlier than a lot of the other big players. Uh, Facebook has 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 participated a bit too, but you you see to some degree the fundamental advancements in AI are being published, but everything else is proprietary. You're right. I think Botkit, which is largely the work of Ben Brown, whom we spoke with a couple of weeks ago, uh, is a is a terrific open source framework uh, for dealing with bots, and and you know I think open source will become an important kind of foundational technology for especially uh, as it relates to things that like a multitude of smaller organizations might want to do, right? So so BotKit, for instance, makes it very easy to kind of handle the the low-level exchanges and messaging that you deal with in, in bots uh, and, and launch bots on platforms. That's something that I think could wind up being as common as like building a business's website and launching it on the internet. So that's going to be a really crucial open source tool. I think uh, TensorFlow, as well as its its older uh, counterparts like uh, Theano and Torch and, and Cafe, are, are all going to be, you know, critical open source components. Above that, you, you go like one, one level higher and yeah, nobody's really <laughs> divulging much about how they're really operating their commercial products. What, yeah, what do you think about open source? Where do you see that? I think um, I'd agree with uh, what you said. So I think when we we did a survey around botanists, and and so the reality is a lot of people when you, when you go up to the stack of like ML the, the 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 AI components, a lot of people are rolling their own, and by rolling their own, mm-hmm. that means using you know building on the shoulders of a lot of these open source toolkits. So I think we'll see a lot there. 
Um, and then what remains to be seen for me is to the extent that if you use API.ai or you use Microsoft Bot Framework or one of these other players, it makes it so much easier for you to get distribution. And mm-hmm. like I, I could see people moving towards those systems to deploy their bot um, rather than rolling their own uh, if it gives them some instant advantages, right? Uh, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right, right, right. Um, and I think up the stack, it's interesting. There are I I was surprised to see so many startups work on building bot builders, right, and and platform startups and analytics and metrics mm-hmm. prior to there being like bots with like real strong business models. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So people are building the pickaxes, and it reminds me of like Cloudera, like mm-hmm. they were you know, a pickaxe company for big data before most people were using big data. Right, um, right. And and so it remains to be seen, like, are, like what's going to happen to those companies? Like, are they, it feels like they would, pro- a lot of them will duke it out and there'll be one or two, re- you know, like, winners remaining. Right, right. It's a bit like how uh, Google had to create Google Analytics early on in order to provide credible reporting that would kind of support its thesis of how... Uh, you know, the web should work and advertising on the web. And so having these metrics and, and pickaxes, as you call them, uh, I think is really essential to the emergence of the field. Of course, a lot of them are not open source. They're, you know, they're, they're commercial services. But that, make, that means that they're very, very fast and easy to implement. And a lot of, uh, you know, we, we tend to talk about sort of bot startups. I think the next phase, and that you could count this as a 2017 prediction, is that we're going to see the entrance of a lot more large companies, you know, deploying their first bots in exactly the same way that, you know, a year or two after the World Wide Web became commonly used by enthusiasts, uh, you had every, you know, some some voice inside every large corporation say, hey, it looks like the web is the next thing and we have to have a website. So I think, you know, if you're if you're United Airlines and you want to deploy a bot, you don't have any misgivings about using commercial technologies rather than open source. It's just kind of a cost thing that you go through shall we hire developers and, and use open source or shall we just, you know, stitch together some uh, ready to go services that are uh, commercial and, and not open source? Yeah, I'd agree. Based on like the people attending the bot day, there are a lot of larger um, enterprises and organizations and they, they were all said they were, you know, working on a bot or building a bot. So I think we're going to see a lot of brands, a lot of companies having internal operations, um, a lot of chat ops types, type applications. Um, alerting, security. So this this will be the year where you'll see some real applications, and some of them will make money. I think it's just a question of how you know how many how many survive, and you know um, how many move on to the next level. All right. So I think we will wrap up there. Um, Twenty sixteen has been an amazing year for bots. I expect a lot of other really amazing, fascinating stuff out of twenty seventeen. So a very happy new year to all of you. If uh, if you enjoy this podcast. And Pete and I hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it. Uh, be sure to stop by iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and uh, give us a rating. Leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. Also, reach out to us on Twitter. And uh, if you have any questions or, or ideas for things that we should discuss on the program. And uh, as you've heard on the last podcast, our next O'Reilly sort of bot-focused event is our artificial intelligence conference, which comes up in June in New York. If you have a bot-related topic to discuss, be sure to apply to speak at the O'Reilly AI conference. The call for proposals ends on January 18, so you have some time to think about it and um, put in your proposal. I'll be reading a lot of those proposals and um, 
can't wait to see what what you all put in. But we're going to have a lot of bot-focused content at the O'Reilly AI conference. And we'll let you know as well if, if any more kind of standalone programs come up. But that's the next one that's definitely on the calendar, is the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference, June uh, 26 to 29 in New York. Be sure to apply to speak. Pete, it's been a pleasure as always. Very happy New Year to you. Yeah, very happy New Year to you. And uh, may you have a great uh, bot day. <laughs> next year <laughs> cool thanks man talk to you soon <laughs>